Welcome to the Circuit of Success Podcast. The Circuit of Success Podcast. With your host, Brett. Brett. Brett Gilliland. Brett Gilliland, Visionary Wealth Advisory. The Circuit of Success Podcast. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. And today we have in the office, or the studio as we like to call it, is John Blumberg. John, welcome to the show. Brett, great to be here with you. It's exciting. And uh, really, one, I appreciate you even doing this in, uh, in person. I know you uh, drove down from Chicago to spend some time with us. Uh, for those of you, uh, my my good friend over here, you can't see him on the on the camera from KPMG, Andrew Davidson, and uh, so appreciate the introduction, Andrew. And uh, we're gonna have a, a great show um, today. John is an author. He's a speaker. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a Christian. He's he's all sorts of stuff. So it's gonna be fun. So as we do with everybody, John, why don't you just take our listeners through a little a journey of your life, if you will, and, and tell us what's helped make you the man you are today. Yeah, I think it, and, and you, I think you name it well in that it is a journey. And I think at any moment uh, that you think you've arrived or that you think, okay, I've got this all figured out, that's where you're back to uh, ground zero. Uh, and I, uh, I, I just watched the evolution. I spent 18 years at Arthur Anderson. Uh, actually started as a CPA in audit, and uh, I always say shifted my focus from numbers to people. Yeah. And I uh, spent the bulk of my time uh, there, actually working on uh, the human development of our professionals, and and uh, spent a lot of time eventually helping uh, direct our recruiting worldwide. And through that process, uh, there was a lot. Um, that I learned about myself is that I helped others learn about themselves. And I think over time, um, I just thought if you could help others be better at what they do, and it really culminated, I was uh, in a firm-wide role and we did these student leadership conferences. And there was a guy, uh, he was a student uh, that came up to me at the end of presentation. It was a a three-day thing. I had a Saturday night uh, keynote that I did in my role, and it was called Getting a Vision for Your Life. And um, people would always come up and say, John, I like your stories. Uh, but this guy, Sam, walked up, and he said, um, and he was the last guy in line, and you always pay attention to the last right. one, right, because they don't want anybody behind him, all right? And he said, Mr. Blumberg, uh, what you shared tonight I think will change the direction of my life. And what's ironic about that is I wish I knew Sam's last name because I would go find him because a year later, him coming up to me that night changed the direction of my life. Um, walking away uh, from pretty much everything, a firm, a position, everything that was wonderful was a stumbling block that I had to let go of. And I've learned a lot about letting go uh, in the years to follow, but it began this journey of um, eventually leadership and then eventually uh, uh, core values. And of course, you can't go out and be speaking on something that you're not continually uh, growing on. Yeah. So, And would you say that was a passion of yours when you were a child? I mean, were you pretty focused on people and, and growing and reading books and doing all those things? Or is it something that as you climbed as your uh, in your career that that happened yeah i think um i i think people that knew me back then would always say that friends um relationships were always uh, critical to me it was kind of funny uh even though i had majored in accounting i always had this thing when i went out to do an audit at a client um and it was a time where I would say the clients aren't quite as sophisticated as they are today. And they were a little bit terrified when we came in. Yeah. And my goal literally intentionally was that when we left, they would be sorry to see us go. And so I think there's uh, elements of, um, you know, relationship there, uh, connection uh, that was, I think, probably always uh, important to me. I would have never in my younger years seen it play out the way that it's played out. But it's kind of that lamp into your feet yeah. thing, right? So let's talk about that to, to what Sam said to you is get a vision for your life. Why, why do you think that's so important? Hmm. Well, I think, um, I, I think, first of all, there's a bit of a paradox at play because I, I think that it's important to, uh, to look inside and begin to understand who you are. Um, and then where do you want that person to go? At the same time, the paradox is I think you also have to hold it lightly, is that you, yes, have to have that vision and play of what you think you're trying to either accomplish or who you're trying to become. But along the way, know that every day, if you choose, is going to teach you a lesson that may very well change the course and that the original vision may have nothing to do with what the ultimate vision yeah. will play out to yeah. be. And that's what we talk about on the circuit of success. And you can see it behind this is once you have that attitude and you have those beliefs and you do the actions, you ultimately get results, but that's going to create a new vision. Yes. Right. That's exactly. so I think that's what's important about that circuit of success is 
as we travel down the road of success and as we climb the ladder, do whatever we need to do in our lives. I mean, it, it's constantly, in my opinion, working on that vision and thinking about that vision because what was a goal and a dream 10 years ago probably isn't the same goal and dream today. Yeah. In right? fact, you would hope it wouldn't be right. right? Uh, right. And the, if, if you, if, if it is, then you probably haven't truly grown exactly. uh, in the process. Yeah. So let's talk about your book, ROI. Hmm. Everybody always, everybody knows what ROI is, right? Mm -hmm. Of course but they You do. decide <laughs> to change the I. So walk us through that. Why? And I, I love the name of the book. It was a great book. For those of you that do or don't follow me on social media, it's one of those books that I was highlighting uh, last month, and it was a phenomenal book, and that's why we're sitting here today. So talk to us about ROI. Obviously, we think of return on investment, but you changed that. Yeah. And first of all, Brett, thanks for diving into it and uh, and also having me today. Uh, so I began looking at this whole issue. I had been working for a long time on uh, the importance, and this was part of my own evolution from leadership to what really fuels leadership. Um, and my focus became uh, laser on the idea of core values. And so as I began to understand that I was only on the surface of what this was about, um, I, I started what I thought was going to be a one-year journey to write this book, and it turned out, it turned out to be a four-year journey. Uh, and part of it was because I, I, I began to understand as you start digging into this, it's so much deeper. And I was really feeling like if the leader at the top, the, the CEO or whatever the name of that leader at the top is, if they're not all bought in, um, this isn't going to go anywhere. And I knew that the leader at the top thought about ROI a lot of return on investment. Um, but this is what this was not what I was focused on. I wanted to literally reframe the first thing they talked about when they talked about ROI. And therefore, the name of the book became uh, Return on Integrity. Right. And uh, it, it has been quite a journey that absolutely continues. In fact, there's been so much that's come from it uh, of my own growth, of, of being challenged by great questions, um, great insights, um, but also understanding this is much harder than I thought it would be for individuals. And I'm talking about good individuals with lots of substance, and it takes a lot longer uh, to dig to the level that I'm talking about on what their core values are and yeah. that would define that integrity. And I'm excited, too, to dig in because I, I, I came up with mine. I did the role play or the exercise, mm -hmm. right? And I, I always hope people do that. When you see an author, mm -hmm. when they're that committed to telling you to put their own book down mm -hmm. and do the homework, I'm like, I got to do the homework, right? Because he's telling me to put his own book down. But yeah. anyway, so I did it. And then I, doing my research for today, I found that one of the, the words I use, which we'll save for later, you say is actually not a core value. So yeah. I'm excited to, to jump into that. Yeah. But, so let, let's talk about, you have the other book, Silent Alarm, which yep. I got phenomenal. Um, that's a novel. Yeah. This one is not a novel. Right. Why is that? Yeah. And it's... It, I got a lot of push as I was beginning to write it, John, who is the organization that is doing this? And you need to showcase one or two organizations that have done this. And I said, you know, this is the challenge when you're trying to chart new ground. Um, I felt like I probably could go out and find some that looked like they were doing it, but the truth was um, I knew they weren't. Right. And that somehow did not hold integrity. And so I had to go with this idea that, and I come very directly at it in the beginning of the book, and I said, anybody that's seen my speaking, anybody that um, has read Silent Alarm knows my love of story. But this is not a storybook. In fact, in, it is not for leaders that are looking for those stories. I, I, I say those are followers and leadership positions. What this book is about is equipping a leader to create the story. And my hope was is that in, in going through, and it was designed to be the scalability of the message, is that they would be able to take, <clears throat> take it and actually create amazing stories about how they also were on the surface of where they thought they were. They thought they were at the bottom uh, of the well, um, that they really had dug as deep as they could and realized they were only 1% in, and they create an amazing story. And, and we're beginning to see uh, some organizations uh, make some headway, but this is a, not a short-term thing, right? And and we're a short-term um, mindset. Yeah, and I think it's one of those books you really need to dive into. So if you're like me and you have the attention span to maybe read about 10 pages a day, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is a, it's a good habit to be in. But yeah. It also allowed me to slow down enough to really think about it. And we're going to talk about one of the quotes later that, that I know Andrew and myself really connected with in the book. But, mm. um, you know, so when you think about that stuff, you talk about the three D's, right? You talk about dilemma, you talk about definition, and you talk about destiny. 
right? So let's spend some time on on the dilemma part. You you had your CEO sampling. Yeah. Tell us about the CEO sampling and, and what did you learn from that? Yeah. So my publisher was making a big push saying, John, you got to get to a solution. Uh, you cannot uh, spend a third of the book um, on the problem. And so I, my gut said that if you get a top leader starting to think solution, they are going to absolutely blind out right. what the real problem is. And, and there no way are they going to be able to dig deep enough unless they really have investigated the problem. So I decided to go out and ask leaders at the top, um, I want to, I really want to dive into why is it so hard to know and to live core values in the world that we live in today in the pressures that are on business? Because I didn't want people to think, well, he's out kind of in la-la land. Um, right. He has no clue what day-to-day -day life is. I, I clearly understood that. Um, but I was also shooting pretty high to what I thought um, we could get to or digging pretty deep on what I thought we could get to. And so I said, would you be able, would you be willing to sustain a fair amount of time to really understand the issue at hand before you ever got to the solution? And 100% of them said, John, the moment you start talking solution, I quit thinking of the problem. Hmm. And I need, I, I think you're right. I need to understand the context much broader and deeper than I've ever given the thought right. to it. Yeah. And that's where the evolution of dilemma, um, you know, played out. Yes. I think as leaders, right, we're fixers. And so yes. we don't want to be on the problem. We want to, even at home, right. You can get into a discussion <laughs> with your wife and it's like, here's how you're going to fix it. Yes. They just like, no, be quiet. I want you to listen. Yes. Right. And so that's what I found in the book is, and I say this all the time, you got to slow down to speed up. Yes. Is to really define what those core values are. My, my business partner, Tim Hammett is phenomenal. He talks about his respect trust and humility. Hmm. Every meeting we're in, hmm. I can see it coming from hmm. a mile away. I know what he's going to talk about, but that's just to his core how important it is yes. for all relationships. So all of us leaders, I think we need to go through the exercise. And the way I did it was I wrote down as many words as I could think of that were could be a value. Yeah. And I came up with mine and it was um it, it I love the word grit. And so mine came out to grit. It yep. was growth. Yeah. It was respect. I for integrity, which you say is not a core value, right? We'll get and, to that. And trust. <laughs> yes. So we're going to get to that. But for me, then that allowed it to become something that, okay, grit, I got to work hard. I got to be a leader that's getting up every day and doing my deal. And so, yeah. so we'll get to that stuff, but I yeah. think it was important. But what's that one dilemma that you think stood out the most to you? Yeah. So I, I think one of the critical dilemmas is um, it's the assumption that we think we got this. Um, in fact, I think I actually believed when I started this journey that 95% of professionals, and I'll put it in the professionals world, um, actually knew their core values. Yeah. And I couldn't have been more wrong. Actually, the percentage was correct. Unfortunately, it was just the opposite. Um, and, and and I get a lot of pushback on this, Brett, because people will say, well, I'm a values-based person. Right. And I'll say, that's great. Uh, but some of the worst, uh, most evil leaders in the world were value-based. It's just a matter of which values, so specifics matter. Uh, or people would say, well, John, I got a gut feel or and I got an intuition of what my core is. And I said, that's awesome, too. And I, I don't have the research to prove this, but I believe that probably 30 years ago that that would have worked and that I think a lot of people operated that way. Um, but today, the biggest difference is the speed at which we move and the right. change at which we face and the disruption that's at play. And I, I guess the way I've most recently um, framed this is that the faster we go, the deeper you have to be grounded. And it, I think it's a critical, not only leadership skill, I think it's a critical survival skill, right. whether we're talking organizations or more importantly, individuals. Yeah. And I think you would uh, agree with this. And I think Andrew probably would too, for what he does every day. I think in the next five or 10 years, it's going to be the only thing that separates businesses. Yes. I, I think that's exactly that. right. Yeah. In fact, there was a recent survey where integrity for the first time is the number one choice in, in choosing a professional services firm. Hmm. And uh, it was the first time. I don't know if it's been on the list before. It might have been lower on the list, but uh, now it's the number yeah. one. And and I think we're hungry for it. I think we're in a world where, um, y you know, we've, I don't know, there's been so much on brand and on the veneer right. uh, that people have begun, I think, unknowingly to buy in that that's enough. And it's never 
enough for a, again going back yeah. to the lifetime journey. And that veneer you're talking about too is is it's the what it looks like on the surface of the table, right? Exactly. I know you talk about that in your book. Yes. And so it's getting deeper and truly understanding what you are. Yeah. Right? And I think the and if you assume you've already got this, you're never going to go below uh, the surface, and you'll never realize that I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. And so I when I think of integrity, I think it's a much um, this is. I want people to think about it in a much more challenging way, um, a much deeper way, and I think hopefully in a much more adventurous way than they've ever come close to giving it credit. So let's talk about the destiny part of the book. I know you almost didn't include it in the book, and, and you actually call it the destiny roadmap. Yeah. Tell us more. I, I just felt, okay, I've got to somehow give some direction to this because uh, we go from dilemma and then we go to the definition of figuring out what this is, the biggest deep dive. Okay, so what do I do with this? And again, I'm talking to leaders at the top and the, the conventional wisdom was you got to give them some help. My biggest fear was is that they would say, okay, let's just cookbook this thing. Uh, there's got to be a solution that is universal, and it's just not. Right. And so what I ended up doing is trying to create this roadmap that I trusted that if you had been through the dilemma and the definition part of the book, your mindset would be in such a way that you would never read this as a cookbook. Right. In fact, you would just use it as a framework to stimulate your own creative thinking. And that, so the risk of what I feared uh, would go away. Um, I, in fact, so much was afraid of it that at the beginning of the book, I said you could jump to the third section and have a roadmap, right. um, but do it at great risk um, because you're not ready uh, to do this and you can't lead it if you haven't lived it. Right. Yeah, I think calling us out on that, it made me read the first two parts. I'm like, oh, gosh, <laughs> he knows my type, right? He knows I'm going to jump to the end and see how to you fix it. You probably didn't know I knew you, didn't right? you? Right, <laughs> you're reading minds through your book. So um, so when I did do your homework, I'm, I'm curious to find this out. So I said mine was grit and the I was integrity, right? It, why is that not a core value? Yeah. Why am I wrong? Yeah. And I get, I've had some people on the surface looking, so are you kidding? It's like on the list of most, uh, right. every organization, a good buddy of mine uh, said, it's our number one value. Um, uh, here's the thing. And I, I, this probably the seed was planted a long time ago with Warren Bennis, who I always say is the grandfather of leadership books, was a professor at the University of Southern California. And he said um, that honesty is when somebody asks you the question, you tell them the truth. And integrity is that you do what you said you're going to do. And if you really think about that, um, that integrity is not itself a value. It is the fabric of every value. It is literally what makes values um, mm. valuable. Now, I absolutely have no problem with somebody having integrity on the list because I think it's a great reminder. Um, and when I frame out, there were probably three words for me, Brett, when, and you can look up a lot of definitions and you go around and ask a lot of people what integrity means. Um, there are three words that really played out for me. And one is um, whole, um, undiminished, and, um, and the idea that it's integrated. And so if you really think about it, um, if we think of our values, the risk can come out to be that we think of them individually. Imagine what your grit is like when they're playing off of each other and sometimes may very well be in conflict with each other or be challenging each other. So the integrity is not only about um, this whole idea of, of, of whole and undiminished, but it's also the idea, is it all connected? Does it all work together? And when it does, then you ultimately have um, integrity. Yeah. Cause yeah, so you could just peel that onion layer back more. So go to my G, which is is growth, right? I yep. believe to my core that if you're not growing, you're dying, right? Yep. And so if you're not working on yourself mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, you know, all things we talked about lunch today, Matthew Kelly helped me with. Yes. Is if you have those things, um, if you don't do them with integrity, then it doesn't matter. Yes. Right. That's correct. Your intentions and your motives, as Tim, my partner, always talks about, right? If they're not in the right intention, the right motive, or have integrity, then the growth doesn't matter. That's correct. In right. fact, it's a perfect example, Brett, because if you, um, we've seen a lot of people grow exponentially, um, but did not have integrity. And and so growth of right. its own um, is, is it can, it, it's the neutral thing that can be amazing, or it can be very dangerous. Uh, but when you combine growth in the context of everything else that you have, you get a different kind of growth. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a that's a great perspective because growth for the sake of growth doesn't matter. Right, right, exactly. Um, 
So let's talk about one of my circuits there, um, belief. And, and I, I read somewhere that you talked about why it's so important for your belief to be in line with what you do for a living. Hmm. What did you mean by that when yeah. you said that? Yeah. So, uh, if it, well, again, it goes back to uh, if, if it's not, then there's a you're not integrated. Uh, there's a disc. In fact, you are disintegrating. In fact, at some point, it's just a matter uh, of time. Uh, I do try to distinguish between uh, what our beliefs are um, and what our values are. Uh, because sometimes our beliefs actually can get in the way of our values, our discovering our values, because we get very black and white sometimes, and it has a lot more to do with ego uh, than it does to, and, and again, I try to distinguish between, um, this is not about what you value, it's about what are your values. Um, and, and in the book, you, you probably saw where I tried to distinguish between behaviors, um, wants, and needs, mm -hmm. and values. And oftentimes our beliefs are hung up in our wants and needs, and that can cause a lot of division uh, and oftentimes can cause you to go against your, your core values. But if you if you've have your values in place and they inform how your beliefs come alive, and then those are in line with what you do and the relationships that you develop, uh, then that's where the integration begins to come into play. And I think too, that when you think about it from a team standpoint, so let's look at it from a business. I look at you know whether it's our all of our advisors, our leadership team, whatever it may be, our clients, is you talk about the three percent usually becomes the one hundred percent, and I, I love mm -hmm. that part too because you're right. I mean, the littlest argument could be like you know you pick that piece of trash up over there and it turns into a fight because mm -hmm. it's not the the ninety seven percent, right? It's that little thing that bothers you yes. that turns into the hundred percent. So yeah. talk about that. Expand on that. Yeah, and I think this is why it's a day to day thing. Uh, it's it's a noticing the three percent before it becomes the hundred percent, right? right? And and I think it's a daily review. Uh, once you define what your values are, and I try to distinguish between knowing them, meaning can I list them, and that's true whether it's your personal values or organizational values, or do I actually know them? So when you tell me, for instance, that growth is one of your values, you so much understand that so much more than I can understand it by knowing the word growth. That That is a label that ha that is of a great understanding to you, right? So as you get to truly know the value, and, and I would say by the daily review is how you get to know it. Because you have circumstances all of the time that are teaching you what growth means in your world yeah. and how it shows up. And so that's why I think it's a day-to-day -day practice to every, I call it the PMAM. The PM is your personal values that you every night, as you put your head on your pillow, or if you go to sleep in two seconds like I do, sit on the edge of your bed, but you go down the mental list of your core values and you review your day and where huh. did they show up? Where was the piece of paper I either picked up or I didn't pick up, right? First of all, I would say you celebrate your values. Um, instead of trying to figure out where it didn't go well, let's celebrate where they did go well because we learned from that. The second is then to go back and look across your day and, and, and figure out if I'd only let that value show up, it would have made a difference. Not to beat yourself up, just to right. notice. And then the third is to go back across the video of your day and you you look at that and say, where did I violate a value today? And we all, we always do it. It's it's hopefully just at a half a percent, right. but we do it, but we notice it again, not to beat yourself up, uh, but it again, it teaches us and, and it re-engages us to be able to be better tomorrow. The AM is the same thing, except it's forecasting and the A is all in the okay. organizational values. But okay. it's, I think it's a daily thing that we get to know this and we become better at it yeah. uh, through that process. And I'm big on visualization, too. So when, when you said the video of your day, that really connected with me because, I mean, I'm picturing myself in my bedroom and I'm, I'm thinking about the day and where could I have done better? Mm -hmm. Right. That's all you're talking mm -hmm. about. Right. Yeah. So, so how important is visualization, that AM? You know, one of my questions for you today is, you know, what are the habits, what are the rituals of, of the best, right? You've seen some of the best leaders, you know, really in, in probably in the world, but in America, leading some of these best companies. What are you finding their habits and rituals are that they do every day mm -hmm. without miss to make them great? Yeah, I think one of the great um, works that's been done in the last year, um, she kind of came out of nowhere uh, to be a rock star in the area of vulnerability, and that's uh, Brene Brown. Oh, yeah. And, and I think this idea um, and what Brene so beautifully talks about is vulnerability comes from a place of strength, not a place of weakness. Mm. And what I have found is 
leaders that I've seen that are willing to be vulnerable are always strong leaders. And so I think the best practice on it is, are you willing to be vulnerable with the one that's hardest to be vulnerable with? And that's yourself. Yep. Am I willing to see the truth? Because that's what we're really after is we're willing to dig or we're, we're, we're wanting to dig to what is ultimately the truth. And to not have any fear of what that truth is. And in doing so, I think we become better and better at being able to see the truth um, literally in the smallest. And I love your analogy of the piece of paper. It's a great metaphor. Uh, I see it in the smallest way because oftentimes it's the smallest thing that can teach us the biggest lesson. Yeah, that's great. And so vulnerability comes from a place of strength and not weakness. And I I love that Um, because I think as leaders – and I'm, I'm, women are this way too, I'm sure, but especially for men, right? We don't want to admit, or we don't want to be vulnerable all the time. Yes. Right. I think that's exactly right. Women, I think, um, and I hate to generalize at all on this because there are certainly exceptions to every rule. Um, but I, I I think this process out of the starting gate um, will be easier for women uh, than it will be for men because they're, they just call it for what it is. Right. Um, and, and men oftentimes uh, can have that protection mechanism. It's not intended. It's, it's, not a, uh, it's not a fault. It's just something they have to work through. Right. In the end, I think men and women are both absolutely capable as human beings to exactly where uh, yeah. I think they are able to get to. So I'm going to read you my favorite quote from the book. Okay. You think you know what it is? Um, Without looking. Do you want me to guess? <laughs> yeah, I do. Is it about the drift? It is. Okay, let's talk about that. All right. So it's about the drift. So it says in the book, we don't go running away from our values. We go drifting away. And one day we wake up in a place we never meant to be, drifting in a direction we never would have chosen. Mm. Phenomenal. Mm. Phenomenal. Mm. And uh, so talk to me about that. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was sitting in a Starbucks in Naperville, Illinois. I, I initially thought authors went to chalets in the mountains, which, by the way, I did <laughs> Some go, of them do, right? I, I went away to Virginia to write uh, Return on Integrity, so I got part there. Um, but I was sitting there, and I wrote that, and I had no idea, Brett, that so many people, it is the number one call out of the whole book, Right. Uh, I'd say 99% of the time. Uh, and I should have known uh, because of my own life, because I, th- I think the reason we relate to it is because we've all experienced it. Right. And I, I think our willingness to admit that's the issue. Right. Um, I was speaking at the University of Alabama and a woman came up to me after a keynote and she said, we've been talking about drift and we've been talking about core values. And she said, John, it kind of dawns on me. How do you know? that you ever left if you didn't know where you were to begin with. Mm. And it was just like gold, right? Because if you assume you know your core values, we're all going to drift. Even if right. you, with your grit, you're still going to drift, um, but you're going to catch it. And, and that's the whole thing is can you catch your drift or have drift catchers in your life that you give permission to? Uh, because we all are going to do that. Yeah. Um, I was speaking to an eighth grade boys class uh, about three years ago. I was actually doing a favor for a friend. And I, I don't have stage fright. I, I think it's a miswiring. Right. Um, um, but I was terrified talking to these eighth grade boys. <laughs> <laughs> about You never know what's coming, right? You never know what's coming. And, and the guy at the end of the session, they were doing a little Q&A. And he said, Mr. Blumberg, do you think other people see you drifting before you do? And I just looked and I said, Joe, I think you know the answer to that question. And he said, I know. Yeah. And I said, that's why you need drift guards. Um, you're your own drift guard with the PM and AM, uh, but you also need people in your life to say, if you ever see me drifting, and by the way, they need to be people who love you enough to tell you the truth and you love them enough to accept the right. truth when you don't like what they're saying. Um, but in effect, um, it keeps the drift in, in check. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with, in fact, sometimes a, a bit of a drift can teach us something very powerful about what we know about our core values. Yeah. Um, but they also, uh, unchecked, um, will lead to everything that we see in the news right. um, and certainly that we see in our lives of people that, um, unfortunately, and it's heartbreaking. It's yep. absolutely heartbreaking because these are not bad people. These are good people that have drifted. Right. I get the name of your next book. I'm called ready. The Drift. The Drift. The Drift. <laughs> I like it. Let's just go with that let's one. Go. All right. The next book is called uh, I, I can see it can, now. Well, I can see it as well. But, so, and let's talk about that for a second because you yeah. talked about the, the drift, uh, what you call them, drift catchers. Drift catchers. And so, 
I ask this to people a lot in, in when we're in meetings and, you know, I always ask for permission to challenge you or whatever it may be to hold you accountable because we love you, right? We love that person we're in front of. And I'll ask you this, who, who's the person in your life that has challenged you the most? Yeah, it's a good buddy of mine. Um, I guess they're probably uh, two. Uh, one's a guy named Al. Uh, he's in Chicago and another um, named Sean. Uh, he's in Vegas and they're two very different people, uh, two different, very uh, different stages of life. Mm -hmm. And they would be the one to call me out. Yeah. Uh, they're the ones we have those conversations that um, um, oftentimes you can only have right. with a uh, with a drift catcher or a drift guard. Um, there was a, there was something I learned. This is another guy that I would put in that list, a guy named Dave. Uh, we were having lunch one day and we had had a robust conversation and we were just getting ready to leave, maybe five minutes before leaving. And, and Dave looked at me and said, man, we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, what's the 5% that we didn't talk about? Hmm. And it was a powerful, powerful question. Uh, and he wasn't like, what are you holding back right. on? He said, what are you not seeing that you need to uh, put on the table? And I think uh, we all need people like that right. um, in our lives. And we need to be that for people. We need to be willing to um, dive into the kind of relationships that I believe um, that I think we're called to have. Right. Um, and we're not called to have a bunch of those, uh, but we are called to have uh, a critical few yeah. of those. Some, I can't remember who it was, but somebody I was talking to talked about who, who's your 2 a.m. club that... No matter what, right? You could call that person at 2 a.m. without asking questions, right? They're coming to get you. They're coming to get you. Right, they're coming yeah. to get you. And there's, there's not a lot of those friends. That list is small. But I think it's important. And for our leadership team, we gave each other permission to be that drift catcher. Mm. Right? If you see me as a the CEO of a company or we you know we see our, our COO or whoever it may be, we have to be, you know, love each other enough to be able to to call you on that. Yeah. And know that it's out of out of respect. It's out of we care for you. We care for the for the, the people at a whole. So yes, exactly, I think that's huge. And I think it takes courage to be that you know for others. Right. Um, it's it's easier to uh, not call people out, um, right. and it, and you always have to respect that when somebody else is calling you out. Yeah. Right. And and I think too is that they usually will see it before we see it. Yeah. Right. Most often. But they got to have the courage to to bring it up. Yeah. Which it, is tough. It gets better if you're doing your PMAM, but uh, yeah, it's still they're going to have a different viewpoint on it yeah. and a different set of uh, eyes to see it through. And I and I know Patrick Lynchoni who wrote the uh he wrote a, a deal on your book for you is a friend of yours but you know, I, I actually saw a video from him this morning and it was talking about having the people around you that have the courage to give you right because as a leader of an organization who you're writing this book for yep. sometimes they don't give the, that feedback because they they think well my, my job's on the line for this exactly. right exactly so i think us leaders and people that are leaders listening to this is be open-minded enough to get the feedback from the people that you, you should be trusting the most in your work environment. That's exactly so, right. So let's talk about fear. This is that question mm -hmm. I told you about that, uh, that I was going to ask you and, um, fear, how have you put that into your world throughout your An Arthur Anderson days to now what you're doing, leaving a great career to, to kind of jump all in, mm -hmm. to go be a writer and a speaker mm -hmm. and all that. That was scary. Mm -hmm. What kind of fears did you put in your mind? Um, well, first of all, I think you have to lean into it, uh, not fight it. Uh, I, I was being interviewed by, or not interviewed, a guy was thinking about jumping off and going into speaking. And he, at the time, gosh, it's 22 years into it now, but at the time, 13 years. And he said, John, uh, when does it quit being scary? And I, I kind of looked and said, uh, never. Yeah, uh, I'll let you know. I'll let right. you know, right? right. Uh, I said, what's amazing, though, is you get comfortable being uncomfortable. And so I am not afraid of fear. Yep. Um, in fact, it, it inspires me. Uh, uh, and, you know, I just I don't run from it. Um, in fact, I think it is the one thing that if you can hold open hands to fear, I think ultimately all the way to fear of death yep. is that anything is possible. Um, it is amazing when we don't lean into it, how it will shut you down. It, it is the most limiting factor. Uh, I think of uh, of anything that we face, and, and I guess in some ways, how do you friend fear? Because it is your friend, right. uh, ultimately, if you don't let it scare you to death. Yeah, because if we don't have it, then we're probably not going to drive to be as successful as we want to be, right? Yeah. So the, the question I always ask is, how many of the fears you've put in your mind have actually come true to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? No, never. Yeah. And that was my response. Right, Andrew? Everybody, everybody laughs. Right. And everybody yeah. says, oh, never. That, that just never happened. Right. 
Um, and it's true. And I, I think my goal is I want to find the snippets from every one of these interviews and just put that on replay for people Yeah, because they never come true to the magnitude we put them in our minds to be. And you know what's amazing is when you're in the next situation and it's creeping up on you, you forget that never is the answer. And That's it's good, really right. good to remind yourself. Yeah. yeah, you do forget that never is the answer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So let's talk about the, the, the some more of the circuits here. Attitude. When you hear the word attitude, what immediately comes to mind? Yeah, it's critical. Um, absolutely critical. And I think you have to keep a pulse on that um, because I think um, drift certainly applies to values. It also applies to attitude. Mm -hmm. I think you also have to be careful um, on the people you surround yourself with. And I don't mean just to pick and choose people that only have good attitudes. Um, I often think sometimes you need to take on the challenge of finding the person that doesn't have a good one and, and help them along with it. Because right. as you're trying to help others have a better attitude, aren't you going to have a better yeah. one because it's top of mind? Yeah. Um, I think it's a critical factor. And I think we're all vulnerable uh, to letting that slide and, and, and drift away the same way we are, yeah. we are with values. And that, that attitude, as you can see, there's a fence post or the fence line goes across since rejection, mm -hmm. right? Because every day we can wake up, we can have the greatest attitude in the world when we get up and you're going to go conquer the day. Mm -hmm. But you get in and that little light over there is blinking on your phone, mm -hmm. right? Rarely is it somebody calling to give you all the best news in the world, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so there's that thing called rejection, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So when you hear that, what I would say, how do you feed the positive dog? What, what habits are you finding that people do to get you in the best attitude, to stay focused, battle through the rejection? What are those things? I think for me, first of all, don't take it personally, um, is that... Uh, in fact, sometimes the rejection is the right answer. A good mm -hmm. friend uh, was just sharing with me um, that um, he said, he put it this way. He said, um, uh, when you think you're winning, oftentimes you're losing. And sometimes when you're losing, you're oftentimes winning. And so what I try to look at is to say that, that just like fear, sometimes rejection can be your, fan, uh, your friend. Is that, in fact, if you don't take it personally, you don't absorb it, uh, you just move on. You take the next step forward right. and you keep going. Or you can choose to... Um, really sit on that. Um, I was talking to another good friend recently, and he said, he's talking about in the, in the world of the NFL and how coaches have to move on to the next game. They, yeah, it's horrible that we had that terrible loss yesterday right. on Sunday, but on Monday, we got to be getting ready for the next team because it has nothing to do with the loss that we just experienced. We, yeah, we need to learn uh, from it, but we can't stay focused on it. And I think, and I think those tough decisions, I mean, if you, if you watch that Alabama football game the other mm -hmm. night to take your guy, what was he, 26 and two or something like that? And you take him out of the game and you put in a true freshman and then the guy brings your team back and you win. I mean, I mean, he looks like a genius now, but, exactly. but those, that's the thing is leaders have to make those tough decisions and they got to live with those tough decisions. So yeah. I remember Sean Payton, uh, that uh, onside kick at the beginning oh, of the second yeah. half. Uh, he was brilliant because it worked, right? right. If that hadn't worked, people yeah. would have thought, are you kidding? Yeah. Are you, you should You're never fired. have another, right? You're fired. So, which probably takes us to the idea of rejection could very well be a matter of perspective. Right. Right. Well, then you even go a step further with that Super Bowl game that everybody in the world thought that the, the Seahawks would run mm -hmm. on like the half of the half yard line. Yep. They throw the pick, they lose the, the Super Bowl. Yeah. Right. And if that had been an, uh, a catch, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Unpredictable. Unpredictable. Right? It's all perspective. Right. So what would you uh what would you tell yourself, the guy, the John of fifteen years ago? Mm. Yeah. I, I think if I'd look back and um I, I would I, I would say be yourself, uh trust. Uh trust um um first into the path you've been called to, and I very much felt it was a calling. Uh, and and to not let the day-to-day -day, uh, uh, get you down, that it is all good in everything, whether it is a success or a failure, all is good. Just keep taking the next step forward. Mm. That's good advice. That's great advice. What are you finding right now? And, and uh, Andrew and I are part of a, what we call executive forum. And, and so the the kind of the deal is all these these this happens to be all gentlemen we're in a group we all run uh, you know either divisions of a company or run a company whatever it may be and we talk about time and time management mm -hmm. right and so what do you, what do you think the best leaders do and what are they doing with their time they run these big corporations what are they doing with their time every day yeah I think they've taken uh, for one thing I would say they're taking very intentional timeouts um, I think they're I think we're past the point uh, that anyone humanly can sustain uh, the information, the speed, the, the pressures, um, 
the demands uh, that come our way. And so I think the leader of the future is going to become very selective at how they, where they focus their time. They're going to be able to be incredible at letting go of the things that don't matter. Uh, one of the best books I read in the last three years is called Essentialism. And I think if I don't misquote it, it says 10% of what you do really matters and the other 90% is a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And I think when we're trying to time manage, you've got to be on top of what is the most critical. And I would suggest, and you're probably not surprised, is that your, your values will help you see that. And it's your needs, your wants, and your behaviors that will help you um, execute it. So let's let's go back a little bit, actually, and, and let's walk people through. They're listening to this right now. If they're driving down the road, whatever they're doing, walk them through. How do you find your core values? What do you need to do? What's the exercise? Yeah. And I wish I could tell you it's the most simple thing in the world. And uh, I, I would suggest that it's going to be the biggest wrestling match you will ever have and, and the most adventurous experience and that you're never done. Uh, I compare it to digging a hundred foot water well. And by the way, the water is there, whether you dig it or not, you just don't get to take advantage of it. Right. And I remember I was talking to an audience of 500 people and uh, I was talking about digging your water well. And I said, you know, the sad part is you get, you start digging, you start exploring and and I think there's a lot of ways that you can go after it. I think there are individual journeys. Um, there are data points. I mean, there's all kinds of instruments on the marketplace that will um, give you scientific data points, um, experiences give you data points, relationships and meaningful conversations give you data points. All of that can feed in um, to this digging process, which is why I say that uh, you, you work on it for 15 minutes and you put it away and you work on it for 15 minutes and you put it away and it's over a period of time. I think in 30 days, you can come up with a, a pretty good, um, a pretty good starting version right. 1.0 list. Um, but I think it's probably a year of, of going back and, and really honing it. And then I think it's probably several years that yeah. you go to really um, understand that. Um, the frustrating part, and this has been my biggest lesson um, since the book came out, is again, I go back to what I said earlier, this is harder than you would think it is, and it takes longer. And both of those are a really good thing. Um, it takes soul searching, it takes digging, um, and there's in the end, nothing scientific about it. Right. It's an emotional journey um, that I think little by little gets uncovered. So I'm talking to this audience of 500 people, and I said, so you know the sad part? You get five feet into the well, and you know what you're looking at? And I, uh, I said, you're looking at dirt, the same dirt, dirt on the top. You get 25 feet, you're looking at dirt, you get 50, you're looking at dirt. That's, okay, I'm, I'm done with this process, right. and you're only really getting started. And that's the tenacity, that's the grit, by the way, Britt, yeah. that it takes to be able to get through it. Um, and I, I, so I'm now in this rhythm of asking the audience questions saying, so you get to 75 feet and I'm fully expecting that they're going to be thinking dirt. And somebody from the audience yells out, uh, I said, you get 75 feet. What do you see? And they said, rock. <laughs> I said, that's right. I didn't that's think right, of right. that, but it, but that's right because it gets harder yeah. um, before, you know, it gets easier. It gets harder. It gets easier. It gets harder. The persistence of digging is what gets you yeah. um, to the answer. Now, here's the thing, and I've used this on a slide now, and I said, you know, the sad part is in all your digging, um, the sad part is you will not find your core values. Hmm. Of course, a lot of people say, well, what the heck? Why, why bother? Why, right. And I kind of pause and say, the truth is they will find you. And I think that's exactly what the truth happens to yeah. be, is that when you dig long enough, um, it eventually reveals itself. That's how truth works. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a dawning on you that this is what it is. And then you label a word to name that dawn. Yep. So, yeah, because you also think you see the pictures, too, where the, the, the people are digging for gold, what they're digging for. And then what they don't see is it's just right here on the other side. Right. And they That's give it. up and That's they it. don't get there because they can't keep battling through the dirt. That's exactly it. Now, I, I don't know if I've ever publicly said this, but um, and I have to be careful about this. Um, is ultimately the words that you choose are not as near as important as the journey that took you to them. Hmm. And what I mean by that, and I go back to your grit, um, you understand growth as a value in a way that I will never see it because it, it's a journey that took you there to find that out. Right. And so when it reveals itself to you, and I don't want to sound too uh, kind of out there, but it is kind of out there, is that your understanding is far more important than the word that you put on it. And you right. will know what that is by the time you've dug to the bottom of the well. Yeah. I think that's a good point because if I could put a, if I could write the word and you just showed me and it said growth, 
there's a whole meaning and feeling that comes behind it. I could show the same thing to Andrew and he, oh yeah, cool. That, that says growth. Exactly. That's right. right. There's a lot. There's a big meaning behind that. And he's thinking, that's it? Right. That's all you got? <laughs> that's all you got? <laughs> there's 17 years of stuff in here, right? Exactly. And a lot of meaning and, and feelings that, that go into that that word. So, yeah. and, and, and I will say this, and, um, and we just have had the opportunity to meet. And what I would say, Brett, is it doesn't surprise me that that's a word that you use because it just exudes out of you. And that's what you want your values to be. It's yeah. so grounded that you can't help but live that value. Right. And if you're not, it goes back to what you're saying. If you're not growing, you're dying. Right. I think the whole that whole mantra plays. Uh, if you're not living your values, you right. are dying, and you can just see that come out of you. Yeah. Well, I think it's too the people you 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 surround yourself with, whether it's socially or, or professionally. For me, it's like I, it's it's not anger, but it's like. I can't, I don't have much time to spend with somebody that they're not choosing to grow. Yeah. Right. I just, I can't do it. Yeah. So I'm not saying that's right, but that's just, that's I, the way I am. Well, and I, well, you know, I, I sometimes go to events and my wife kind of calls me out on this, but you know, it's a surface level conversations. Right. Uh, and that's just part of my style. If I'm, if I'm at a party, uh, I, I'd love to, you know, come up alongside you and we have a 20 minute conversation about something meaningful. Yeah. That's a much more fun yeah. party than, you know, we're just talking surface level and there's a time and place for that. Right. Um, but there's also, um, a time and place where let's have a meaningful conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm terrible at the big parties of making small talk with everybody. I'm not good at that. As much as I can do this stuff, I can't, I'm not, I'm not good at it. Um, so share one of your core values, if you will. You mind doing that? Yeah, not at all. Um, so I, I think, and I've already mentioned it, uh, and that is vulnerability. Mm. Uh, I, For me, I try to frame out uh, what that means to me, but that's what opens possibilities for me. Uh, that's what builds um, um, connection for me. Uh, and it's also how I think I, I deal with what we've talked about earlier, and that is fear, yeah. is that I'm willing to be vulnerable and find great strength, um, you know, within that. Right. Um, uh, the other two are optimism, um, and there's a lot that drives me on hope. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other is relationship. Um, it, it's, um, uh, I think we're wired for relationship. And, and when you put those three together, uh, there's there's probably 15 things that underline what I mean by those, yeah. um, but but it leads with vulnerability. Yeah. Well, I think that's huge too because we we've known each other now for what a whopping two hours, mm -hmm. two and a half hours, mm -hmm. something like that. Is there's that feeling of a deeper connection because of you know there, there was not a lot of surfacey discussions downstairs at lunch, right? Mm -hmm. And that's so it. I think for those listening, if you struggle with that that vulnerability. Uh, that transparency, it leads to a deeper relationship much, much quicker. Much quicker and more meaningful experience, right? right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so let, let's talk, did you, let's talk about your success. I mean, through your Arthur Anderson days to, to now, I mean, did you envision that success or are you more shocked by it? Uh, oh, I'm shocked every day at what, um, you know, begins to play out. Um, and I, I'd rather stand in awe. Mm. Um, then, then all of a sudden think it had anything to do with me. And, and I will say this, that the success I've had, um, has had nothing to do with me. It's had everything to do with people that believed in what I was trying to do and trusted me in that process. Um, and I give it all to them. And I mean that sincerely. Mm. I don't mean that just to sound kind of nice. Um, um, there is, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if there's any other way that I could frame that other than I love to stand in awe continually when things go well, and I love to learn deeply when they didn't go so yeah. well and try to stay out of the process of both. And these are tough questions, and I know that, so I apologize. But so what would you – that that one CEO, that one leader right now is listening, and you could give him or her one message, what would that be? Yeah, that's a uh, it's a really good question. Um, I mean, of course, part of me wants to say dig for your core values. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Go-to answer, right? Um, um, I I would say, um, okay, I'm, I'm just going to bottom line this: love others. Mm. Um, I I was um, talking to Madoff Sots, an honorary accounting fraternity, fifteen hundred college students, and it hit me the night before. I was actually up at two a.m. and I couldn't sleep, and I was going to be talking about values and. Uh, 
it really hit me that you need to talk to them about love. We need to be more loving. And so at the end of the presentation, um, I, I just simply said, you know, I hope that you'll do everything I've talked about today uh, as it relates to digging for your core and, you know, many other things that we've talked about. But if you don't do anything else, I'm going to ask you this, that when you put your head on the pillow tonight and every night to follow, just ask yourself the question, um, how loving was I today? And if you do that, everything else will fall in place. And what I was amazed at when all the students came out afterwards, probably 90% wanted to talk about that. Hmm. And I, I don't know, I, I don't know of a time in our world where maybe it's every time in this world, but yeah. we need to be more loving and less divisive. Um, and, and I think maybe, um, I don't, call it out as a core value, um, because maybe it's for me like integrity, um, that hopefully it's a fabric of, of every value. Yeah. I think it's too, it's what we're putting in our minds. Right. I mean, I, I literally made a decision back in almost, I guess it was about March. You know, I'd find myself watching TV at night and I'm like, you know, I'm not, I can't do this anymore. Like mm -hmm. nothing good is coming out of mm -hmm. this. And so I think I, I truly feel maybe I'm being naive, but I truly feel as Americans, we're doing that, right? There is starting to feel like there's more love with all the bad stuff you hear. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if we can turn off our televisions and spend more time talking or reading or uh, loving on others, mm -hmm. um, this, this world's going to be a much, much better place. It's going to be a much better place. And I've always said I hate to talk politics and religion with people that agree with me. Right. I actually like to engage in that as long as it's not personal. Right. Um, let's find a way that we love through that. Uh, and we're going to learn a lot because of that. Right. Absolutely. So talk to us, um, you know, last kind of few questions here, but talk to me about the time uh, and, and hope maybe you've had them, maybe you haven't, hopefully you haven't, but uh, that, that's really a time in your life that it took you to your knees. And how did you get through that? How did you dig yourself out of that hole? I'm assuming you're going to talk about your core values with that, but can you share one of those moments with us? Um, probably the darkest, hardest day of my life. Um, I was 13 years old, family vacation, and my father dropped dead of a fatal heart attack. And we were, I grew up in Memphis. We were driving, we were actually over in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and just had gotten there that day. And uh, that drive back um, oh. was one of the darkest, hardest uh, moments. And you talk about fear. Um, um, it, it was a it was a defining moment, um, and and maybe uh, what I've just realized, really almost more in the last three years, is how much I mislearned through that. Um, because as a 13 year old, my brother, um, my oldest brother, got married six weeks later. Uh, they offered to postpone the wedding. My mom said absolutely not. Uh, and my other brother went off to a Catholic seminary. And um, so we went from a family of five to a family of two in a matter of about 12 months. And what you think of, I'm just starting high school, and I had so many people in that high school because my dad was very involved. I had so many people uh, come around me and love on me. Uh, but what you feel like is I've got to get on top of this. I've got to control this. And what I realized is that I developed this got to be in control, got to, and ironically, it was totally the opposite of vulnerability. And mm. three years ago, my buddy Al asked me the question, um, so how did you process that? Uh, and I said, oh, you just got to move on. It's kind of that pull yourself up. Uh, and, and I haven't really thought a whole lot about it. He said, I would suggest that you do. And it's pretty amazing uh, when you look back. What I never could have learned then um, is what it revealed for me today. At the same time, it, it I think, it helped me along the way to a point it was as good as far as it went. And then I needed to learn a different lesson. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. But, um, I cannot imagine mm -hmm. 13 years old driving and your, your father passes away. Yeah. That'd be the longest drive in the history of drives on the way home. Yeah. And you know, I've never been back to hot Springs and I yeah. probably need to yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. He either never want to go again, or you may need to go I visit it. Right? need to go. Let's go do some therapy. I hear it's here. beautiful. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So what uh, what are you passionate about today that you wish, you know, if you just had a magic wand, you had more time to go do? What would that be? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I, I think I'd live what I'm passionate about and I'm excited okay. um, uh, with what I do, uh, being able to come alongside uh, Brett. I don't know anything um, more fulfilling to me than when somebody's willing to let you walk alongside them. 
um, again, in a vulnerable uh, kind of way. Uh, there's nothing I'm more passionate about than to sit with somebody uh, and be able to be a, a companion with them along uh, their journey. So I get to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not a person that has a bunch of hobbies of, um, I played golf when I was in, you know, um, grade school and played tournaments. And yeah. uh, I know you, you took that much, much yeah. further. Yeah. Um, uh, but there's nothing that's a hobby for me, uh, that I would say, this is my, my go-to, uh, it's much more, I guess, about uh, relationship and whatever we're doing. Yeah. And I get to do that through my work, but I also get to do that through my family. I get to do that with friends and I get to do it with the, you know, executives that I get to come alongside. Yeah. Has you're just, you just you have to be just feel blessed every day, right? To get to do the things you love to do every single day. Awesome. So, um, talk to me about the purpose, right? So, I, and I just started doing this, and your book actually helped with this. Is I've always had, I always know why I get uh, get up in the morning. I know why I go do what I do. Um, but I came up with a statement, right? And so my statement now is my number one purpose in life is to help people see and achieve a future brighter than their past. Mm. Right. Mm. So I just, I know that. So help you see and achieve a future brighter than your past. Mm. And for me that seeing it is number one, because mm -hmm. a lot of people may or may not see it, Yep. but achieving it. Right. Cause we can, you said it earlier, we can do anything we want to do anything we put our mind to. Yes. Um, and so I want to help people with that. And so what would you say your purpose in life is? Yeah, I, I, I guess, um, uh, and, and I, I have let go of, I guess, putting that in a sentence per se, uh, but I would say um, help people live with integrity. Um, and that's, it's what I do. Um, there's nothing that I'm more passionate about uh, to do that. And if I can, if I can come alongside people and help them see that and willing to see truth for all its ugliness mm -hmm. uh, and all it causes the fear, um, I, I guess it would be to live a more integrated life, not a more integrated success as much as an, a more integrated life and in, which is the ultimate success. Yeah. Uh, what I love about yours is that it's, it's a complete celebration of growth as well. Right. Um, and not only do you help them see it, you help um, equip them to do that. And and that's what a great two sided coin that is. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, and so I'm not going to give credit to this person because uh, he may or may not be in the room. But um, <laughs> we, we talked what well, question that he always he said, that's be a great question. Right. And, and it's true. It is a good question, even though I'll not give him credit. Um, <laughs> Life is about experiences, mm -hmm. right? So what's what's that experience, that next experience, that bucket list item for mm -hmm. you? What, what's on there? That's funny that you asked that question because my wife and I, for the first time ever last year, uh, started creating uh, a bucket list. Nice. And uh, we laugh sometimes that, you know, we're having an experience. We said, we need to put this on our bucket list. Add it right now. Because right. uh, it's... This is amazing. Yeah. And I, I, I don't have this kind of bucket list... Uh, that says it's a grand experience yeah. or, you know, going to see this thing. <clears throat> it's much more um, about simple things. Uh, and there are some, you know, big things, I guess, that we could add to the list, sure. but ours are much more... Um, it could be, um, I, I want to make sure that we go walk in the park, uh, a new park, right. um, you know, this next month. Uh, and it's it's going to be the everyday, simple uh, kind of thing. So I may need you, Brett, to have a bigger vision <laughs> uh, for what that um, would be. Um, but also in my bucket list is traditions. And yeah. I think one, I'm just planning this out right now. My, my son in the um, uh, when we first moved to Chicago, he, uh, people would ask, are you a White Sox fan or a Cubs fan? I said, oh, I like them both. And <laughs> now, having grown up in Memphis, I was actually a Cardinal uh, fan. There you go. Now we can um, keep talking. But um, I found out that people would realize I wasn't from Chicago, so I like both. So actually, he started falling in love with the Cubs. So when he was in high school, every day I would um, – I would get up and read the Cubs article because I knew he would talk about that. So he already knew. Right? He already yeah. did, right? And he would have that conversation as a teenager. Hmm. And the more I read, the more I fell in love with the Cubs. And um, actually, as a fifth grader, one of our weak parental moments, he actually got online and signed up for season tickets. And three years <laughs> ago, as a 30-year-old now, he actually yeah, yeah. got season tickets. So great. Uh, one of the traditions we started that was a bucket list item to begin with was uh, to go to Cubs spring training every mm. other year, father-son. And then we just go. And so this is our year after they won the world series last year we thought okay that's going to be a kind of a crazy year to go um and this is the year we're going to go so for me it's about putting it on the list but then it's also about um continuing the traditions where get they it. make sense get it that's that's great thanks for sharing that last question 
I give you $10 million. You can't invest it. You can't pay off any debts. What do you do with 10 million bucks? What would I do with $10 million? Um, um, you know what I would love to do is go out and invest it in those that have no resources. Um, and maybe it goes back to have a great attitude. Yeah. Um, uh, they, they, <laughs> they do want to grow. Um, I would love to come alongside and bless them with the resources to go, uh, to go and make their dream come alive yeah. and would want to do it in small quantities. Um, and so that it would affect a lot of people. And I guess that would be my, uh, my biggest dream. I like um, it. And it does not surprise me that you're going to invest in others based on uh, the, what I've gotten to know about you and researching you and now spending time with you today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Andrew, thank you for the introduction and uh, thank you for the time today. It's been great. Great to be and here. I, I hope you, our listeners, uh, got as much out of this as, as I got um, getting to interview John. And uh, I guess I didn't ask you this. Where, where can we find more of you? So social media? Yep. Social yeah. Social, probably the best way to start because it'll lead you there. And that is uh, my website, which <laughs> is... Uh, uh, Blumberg, B-L-U-M-B-E-R-G-R-O-I okay. uh, dot com. So yep. BlumbergROI.com and it'll uh, take you to my blog and, um, you know, and connect you to Facebook, Twitter and such. Great. Well, we'll find it there. And uh, just again, thank you for being here. And I hope our listeners got a ton out of this because I know I got a ton out of it as well. And lots of notes will be going through here. So thank you for your time. Thanks for having me.